2: I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton. As the premier independent bookstore in the Hamptons, Bookhampton has a highly curated selection of books for readers of all ages, unique one-of-a-kind gifts, and exciting author events. Browse their fabulous staff suggestions online at bookhampton.com. Lindsay Mead is a Princeton and Harvard Business School graduate whose day job is working as an executive recruiter. She writes a popular blog called A Design So Vast. Don't miss her recommended reading list. It's pretty awesome. She's written for a wide range of publications from Brain Magazine to HuffPost and writes frequent book reviews. She's the editor of a collection of essays on being 40-ish, which includes contributions from other podcast guests of mine like Jill Kargman and KJ Dell Antonia, as well as notables like Lee Woodruff and Sloan Crosley. Lindsay lives with her husband and children in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome, Lindsay, to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. Can you please tell listeners what your amazing collection of essays, which is called On Being 40-ish, is about?
1: Yes. It is about the experience of turning 40, being in one's 40s. There are contributors who are older than that, so I personally think of it as a broader exploration of basically, you know, a
2: particular season of life, which is, you know, 40s broadly, but midlife for women. What made you want to compile all these essays? What made you want to tackle this topic?
1: I've always written a lot about, I mean, age, but it's kind of a way to get into thinking about, I mean, the season is the right word for it. So I I mean, I've always written posts every year on my birthday, trying to capture kind of where my life is. And actually, so I have a Long-time relationship with a former editor at Simon and Schuster, who's now actually working on her own book. But her name is Christine Pride, and she had the idea, so she came to me. Actually, oh no way! Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was pretty nascent. I mean, she's the same; she's a little bit younger than I am, but also in her early forties. And said, "You know, what would you think about doing this?" And so we, together, kind of fleshed it out. And you had never written another book. I've written two books, but they're uh, on the floor there. <laughs> I've never written anything that's been published. No. I I mean, other than online and essays, but no books, no.
2: So this was like a big project to start. What did you think? Were you excited? Like, tell me, she said, do you want to do it? Let me hear the story.
1: She called, she and Brittany, who's my agent, who's also a close friend, know each other and they talked about it and it felt a little bit, I don't know what the word is. It was like, it just kind of fell into place. It felt very like it was meant to be. So, you know, I was immediately on board with the topic and it actually feels now it feels like there's a little bit of sort of zeitgeisty energy about midlife, in my opinion. Maybe it's just because I am in midlife. So, you know, it was pretty smooth. We talked a lot about what we wanted the collection to look like and be about. And then we brainstormed contributors and reach out to them. And so from there, it kind of rolled out.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. So what was it like for you to turn 40? Like, is this—when you were younger and you thought about life when you were 40, is this what you thought it would be like? It's a great
1: question. I often— I have often said for years that my life is exactly like I planned it and nothing
2: like I imagined. I love that. That's awesome.
1: Uh, I mean, the actual experience of turning 40 was really sort of, you know, a non-event, actually. I mean, I remember the day I turned 40, I went, I picked my kids up at camp, which is like a hell of a drive over the bridge to the cave and driving them home. I did all this laundry. We had dinner at home. And I was like, it's just a really regular day. And that was great. So I guess I would say it's exactly like I thought it was going to be but also totally different and it sounds really
2: abstract no but. I love that's, that's <laughs> I, I relate to that you actually I'm going to read a quote you said in the book you said I love hearing Allison describe her 40s as her favorite decade because I feel the same way this stage of life feels like one long exhale it's also exhausting and overwhelming more than any other time in my life I feel pulled thin and like so many people need me which I just loved Yeah. did you find that the other contributors to your book felt similarly to you
1: I did I, I think one of the things that, you know, in my I read a lot of memoir and I think that this book is not a memoir, but it's personal essays. And I think one of the great markers of a successful memoir or an essay is that it, it manages to take the really, really personal and make it super universal. And I always think of that Gail Godwin quote. There's like, you know, the more you focus on the singular and the strange, the more you access the universal and the infinite. So I think each essay Actually comes at the question of, you know, basically we were like right about being 40, you know, and it's pretty broad prompt. So I would say that I do think that some themes emerged. And I think that, you know, a lot of people I'm thinking of KJ's essay about why she didn't answer the email. I mean, that's clearly, you know, somebody who's got a lot of people needing her. So, yeah, I think my guess I mean, I haven't asked the question of the other contributors, but I think most of them do feel the same way, even though everybody's lives are different, you know, in terms of that was important to us. Also, I was going to say that Christina and I spent a lot of time making sure we had a diversity of viewpoints, not just people of different races and ethnicities and marital situations and sexual orientations and people with kids and people who didn't. And, you know, I think that, Even with all of that variety, there are some universal things that emerge, which is, you know, awesome in my opinion.
2: I felt like everybody had the same sort of, like, this is a time to pause. Like, this is the middle. We're stopping for a second. We're reflecting. And everybody was, like, kind of looking around. You know, like, I feel like they were like... I don't know. Like we're all on like some sort of football field, and everybody's like <laughs> frozen and looking, yeah. taking stock, yeah. and then like the game can go on towards the rest. So I, I don't know. I, we'll hear some of my favorite quotes from some of the different authors. So Megan Dom, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. she said, children are life's great timekeepers, which was so great because it's so true. Yeah. They like mark the passage of time. Veronica Chambers said, what I have learned from being a sort of sports fan is a lesson that I have applied really almost daily to the act and art of being in my forties. It's a game of two halves. Oh, this is like, this is probably where I just got that analogy. It's a game of two halves. And this is the thing, no matter what happens, you can't win in the first half, Yeah, I love that, which is great. Mm-hmm. And then Sloan Crosley, who I love. <laughs> she did a whole thing on beauty and said, An assessment of my face as it stands now, construction projects that began in my late twenties are still underway. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Julie Clam wrote, Turns out the reason people say being a grown-up is hard is because it is, mm-hmm. which is very true. And I loved Lee Woodruff's essay. She's a really beautiful writer. And she talked about, you know, her newscaster husband Bob Woodruff and his injury on the field, and said, When Bob woke very suddenly one day, my entire aperture on the world had been rearranged. I understood with clarity that 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 there was no perfect age. I had envisioned my 40s as a mostly joyous, jumbled combination of mothering, marriage, work, and play. Wasn't this decade supposed to be the wonderful, gooey, marshmallow center of life? That's good. So all these different essays, and this is just some of the authors. I mean, Jill Kargman's essay was great. K.J. Delante. Tonya's essay, which was accepted in the New York Times recently, amazing. I just think you really make the reader think. You make us pause and think, which was which was fantastic. Okay, so you have a full time job. Yes. You're a recruiter, executive recruiter, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when did you get this project done? So I have written a lot
1: about when I write, because I get that question a lot. And I would say that the editing of this project was exactly the same, which is to say it happens sort of around the edges of the rest of my life. And I once long ago described writing as the grout, between the tiles of my life. And actually I keep coming back. It was like a random analogy. And I think it makes so much sense because not only is it around the edges, but it holds everything together. So I would say the editing of this was the same you know, experience. So I edit and write in the mornings. I edit and write at night. I have half an hour free in the middle of the day, but I, you know, it's definitely something that is not my full-time occupation, writing or editing. And that's, that's actually okay. You know, a lot of people have often said to me, oh, you should quit your job and write full-time. And the truth is I, for me, having this other life in financial services frankly is actually it's hard for me to imagine not doing that and i think it's super additive to for me personally it to, to who i am and how i think about the world so I can't imagine
2: not doing it. And tell me a little more about your blog, Design So Vast, and how you came up even with the name and yeah. the content. You know, I started it on a whim in 2006, which
1: is crazy how long ago that is. Grace and Wit were one and three when I started the blog. There was definitely a part of me that wanted to capture them. I was aware even then that, you know, I was not able to remember. I wasn't, I wasn't going to remember everything, which is totally true. The title comes from probably my favorite quote, which is from Louise Erdrich's The Bingo Palace, and it, there's no such thing as a complete lack of order only a design so vast it appears unrepetitive up close which I find very very reassuring and so honestly I picked it kind of on a whim I mean it was back I probably should have called it lindseymead.com because I could have got the URL back then (laughs) so you know and originally I wrote a lot about them and then as they got older I wrote less about them and so I would say it's changed a little bit over time but I've always struggled with the elevator pitch of what my blog is about, and I've been told many times I need a better. Oh, stop.
2: That's <laughs> like saying, different. like, you know, you have to, like, tidy up with a bow the things that are going on in your mind on an average day. Like, it's just not that neat and perfect, right? It's like no. the things that you feel passionately about, they don't always get so perfectly packaged, I think. No, no, that's true. So, I mean, I guess if you had some sort of specific intention for the blog. No. Yeah, no. no, I feel, no. And that's, yeah. I feel like that that's what makes it more relatable too. It's like, I mean, people want to intake information about lots of different things. It's not like, you only go online to read. Well, anyway, I'm rambling. But yeah, <laughs> and you've also written so beautifully about your father, and even on Instagram, and just marking each date that passes. And I'm so sorry for his loss. It sounds like you were so close, and his love of poetry really, you know, seeps through into you. Have you found that writing about that helps about his loss, or I
1: have, I definitely have. I actually worry I'm a broken record writing about it too much. It's been like I'm kind of like I should be over this by now, but I'm, you know, I'm never gonna be over it. I have written a book about him already it's about a 250 page book and it's about maps and if one of the themes in my life and his life is he was very interested in maps he had a lot of frame maps on the wall and he collected Baedecker guidebooks and there was this i've written before about sort of this fundamental belief in the map that he had and my eulogy talked a little bit about this And so the book was about him and about his influence on me, but also about kind of what happens when you come to the end of the map, which for me was always like living according to, you know, whatever the next great achievement was. And he once said about me when I was about 18, that my biggest strength in life was doing just well enough to get to the next hardest thing. And I was super offended at the time. And I was like, he's totally right, you know, and the problem is once you've, had your graduate degrees and had your children it's sort of like there's no obvious next press ring so that's what that book was about I would love to write more about him I've often thought about revisiting that but I don't know
2: we'll see yeah well I love that essay that I read the other day with the especially yeah. with all the quotes of poetry and I don't know it's like so lyrical and
1: people don't know that I mean he had a PhD in physics and he was like an engineer and super logical and had this side interest in poetry which I love
2: oh yeah so nice So you say on your website that people find your book reviews also to be more helpful than like anything else. So what do you try to put in these book reviews? How do you, how do you do it? Like, what's the secret? Yeah. You know, I was thinking, I read your question and I was like, I haven't written one in a while. I don't know. I mean, I
1: I only review books. I choose my own. Right. And so I can only review books that I loved, which is a gift. I don't review, but I don't, I don't get told what to review. So I'm able to pick. And so I think that it can be very heartfelt in my recommendation and maybe people pick up on that. But I don't have any secret sauce. I mean, I usually I'm a big underliner when I read and note taker. Of course, I read mostly from the library. So that's a little tricky. I don't obviously underline library books. But so when I'm reading something for like when I read Danny's Inheritance, which I knew I was going to review, I was writing in it. And then when I go back to write the review, I usually just flip through and see what I've underlined and kind of structure it that way. But I'm definitely not like a formal or in any way educated book reviewer. I just like to talk about books I love. And I'd love to talk to other people about books they love. I mean, it's definitely one of my favorite topics. So
2: Me too. <laughs> As you can tell. Talk- <laughs> well, thank you for this podcast. <laughs> I do the same thing, but I find I often don't have a pen. So yeah. what I started doing was just dog earing a page.
1: I dog ear the bottom, and then I have to go back and see which was the line I exactly. wanted. Exactly. With library books, and then I take a picture on my phone. And then what I realized is sometimes it goes by and I can't remember what book it was. Yeah. It's just
2: like a- <laughs> I find I go back a lot of times and I'm like, why did I ear this page? Like, what did I like? And if I can't find it again, then forget it. Hey, you know, yeah. like, I mean, obviously I have to forget it, yeah. but. I'm but like, I, it better be really, it's something that has to have stuck with me a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> so great that you actually use a library. I feel like I'm such a supporter of libraries and I love them, but I find yeah, I well, take out more for my kids, like in the summers yeah. or summer when I have more time or there's like a little local library, but you really go in and use them and that's awesome. I really don't want to use them and I have a lot of guilt about it because I like to buy books, but I used to have a, I do have a friend who used
1: to work in publishing and she said, you know, we'd sell to the libraries, like you shouldn't feel guilty about that. So I use uh, the Cambridge Public Library is great because you can order the books and then they come into the one around the corner. So I it's like my free Amazon. I love the librarians. They have, gr- I mean, that's a great job. In my opinion, they have great ideas and we talk about books and I do often buy books. Like if I, you know, if I go to a reading, I buy the book or if it's a book I want to have. But I, you know, my dad always used to say actually home is where you keep the books. And we've been tra- like it, after his dad, well, you know, we're part of what we're doing is throwing things away. And he had so many books and there's a part of me, it's very liberated
2: by the library because I don't necessarily, there's just was the stuff, you know? And so I don't know. I do use it and I love it. I think it depends on the author. Like there was, where was I? I went to some book reading and they were like, you know what? It doesn't matter if you read our book, just make sure you bought our book. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But I think for other writers, like they just want you to read it. Like, cause uh, you know, that's why people feel so touched when you take the time to read it. Like they've spent so long writing it.
1: I definitely care more about people reading it. Like when people come up to me and say they read my blog, it like makes me want to cry. So I
2: think
1: (laughs) it's much more about the reading and the relating than the buying, but. Yeah, That may be why I haven't published a lot of books. So. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> That's so
2: funny. So do you have any interest in trying to revive – well, you so you mentioned you might want to revive the one about your dad, but starting to write another book or yeah. mining the blog for some other –
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I think about this all the time. I would love to write and I feel a little bit like a frog because I'm like, congratulations on your book. And I'm like, I didn't actually – I mean – I had a big part in this. I feel like this is my baby, but I didn't write the whole thing. And that's why it's so beautiful because everybody else's writing is so great. You
2: are a total fraud. You're an imposter. (laughs) I'm going to hang out now. Forget it. (laughs) I do think about lots of things. I got, so the two, uh, I wrote the one
1: book about maps and my dad. And then the second book I got very close on was a book about grace and it was called Wonder Girls. And it was about parenting a daughter in adolescence, basically preteen. And I remember I went for a walk near my house one day and I came home and I wrote this like page and a half about having walked past the playground where I used to take her as a child and how the weight of everything that was gone was so overwhelming. I like leaned back against the fence. And I wrote this whole thing in a like one page. Right. But, and I remember sending it to Brittany and she was like, "Wow, well, we might have something here, but you know, I realized that the expectation for disclosure in a, in a memoir is really high and ultimately people pass in the book. I mean, it was not picked up, so I'm not sugarcoating, but it also made me realize that part of the, reason people pass was she's withholding. And I realized there are certain things about my daughter I'm just not going to write about. And so if that's what's necessary to write a memoir, and I believe it probably is necessary, I don't want to do it. Right. So I guess the answer is I'd love to write a book and I have ideas. I've basically been told that once you put stuff on a blog, you're not going to sell it because you've given it away for free. So the idea of sort of aggregating the blog is very appealing. And I print it every year, and it's like that many pages, right? It's so big. It's half a bookshelf. But I don't think that could turn into a book. So I don't, and I'm not very good at fiction. I'd love to write fiction, but I'm not good at it. So I don't know the answer. I don't really, fundamentally, I'm not interested in, I'm uncomfortable writing about myself. And so therefore, if you don't want to write fiction, or if you're not good at fiction, you don't really want to talk about yourself, it's a little limiting. So.
2: I feel like you you could have just summarized how I feel about writing in general. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, if I can do like a thousand words about what I pick, but yeah, I definitely. I pick what goes in. Totally, right? and but that's the thing about blogging, right, or essays, like because I re- it was really an aha for
1: me because I all the, I mean several publishers came back and said she needs to go deeper or like where's her husband and I realized you know I'm happily married I just choose not to write about that you know or I just don't want to write about. X or Y in my daughter's teenage life. And anyway, so yeah. And I realized when you're a blogger or an essayist, you can pick. And people have all, I don't know if people say this to you. People say to me all the time, oh, you must be, you're so comfortable being vulnerable. And I, you know, the truth is I don't really feel that way because I can pick what I share about, you know, I mean, I'm aware that I write candidly about certain aspects of my life, but they're the ones I'm comfortable writing about. So I don't
2: feel exposed. But if somebody said you have to write about your marriage, I would be like, no, you know, and so anyway, right. you're you're like stealing what's in my head right now. That's a, <laughs> you're like literally articulating the same exact things. Yeah, that, true. yeah. And I just tried to write. I just was talking to you earlier. This memoir I just tried to write. This I got yeah. the same feedback. Like, well, you you have to write about this, and you have to yeah. talk about that. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not writing about that. So, yeah, totally. well, the, the reader will be unsatisfied. I'm like, who is this demanding reader? Why do, they, why do they have to know every single thing? Do they even care? I mean, come I on. Do, no, I know. I, <laughs> I, I, I have not solved that quandary. You Let me know. Let me <laughs> well, I, see, I think you figured it out by doing this collection of essays. So now I might try to copy you because...
1: A friend of mine was joking last night. She was like, so what are you going to write? And I said, well, I can't write this and I can't write that. I said, I think I'm going to do On Being 50-ish next.
2: <laughs> 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 so I do feel like, you know, hopefully this is a model that will continue but to be honest one of my four kids is 11 and a half year old girl yeah so i could use your preteen insight to be yeah you know, so oh, if, oh yeah if you you ever, heart. Oh.
1: <laughs> i think that grace was maybe 10 when i started and i was and
2: now she's 16 and a half. i mean it goes really fast yeah oh, what well, you said about the playground that like brought tears to my eyes but yeah so do you have any advice there are all these aspiring authors and yeah bloggers and everybody, what would you tell them? I wrote, I have my
1: notes here. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's all caps, write. I mean, I think the only thing, if you want to be a writer, you have to write. And I still have trouble using that word for myself. So I don't really think of myself as a writer, but I've spent, you know, whatever, 12 years trying to own that title. And, you know, I think what makes a writer is writing. I mean, fundamentally. So I think That's my only advice. And I don't personally think that like you have to chop everything else in order to write. I really, for me, it's been really profoundly effective to write sort of alongside another or multiple other lives. And so I do, I find it paralyzing when people's advice is drop everything and sit down and write the book. I I think that's overwhelming. And so I guess for me, the advice is just, start writing and if it's an essay you know so I guess that's my overall advice but I don't feel like somebody who's in a
2: position to give advice you are like ridiculously <laughs> self-deprecating stop it I don't think that well I don't know in my humble opinion which means very little but I don't think you have to you know have 50 books on a bookshelf at Barnes & Noble to make yourself a writer I think it's who you are in your soul and you know writing comes out in so many different ways like maybe there are poets out there who are like well I've never written a novel so I'm not really a yeah. writer you know I mean yeah, on, uh, yeah. right it's like I think you're selling your, yourself. thank you you. plus you've contributed this great book which is like the best gift for anyone turning 40 ever I mean Uh, this should be like yes yeah it's coming it's on sale February 5th very exciting yes
1: thank
2: you all right well thank you for being so open and vulnerable in the ways you chose today (laughs) (laughs) and uh, in all your writing and thanks for coming on moms don't have time to read books thanks for having me of course This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton, bookhampton bookhampton.com. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. (laughs)